0: Hey, everybody. It is Monday, October 30th, 2023. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mosh Wanunu.
1: And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. Mosh, I appreciate that you threw the year in there.
0: You know, listen, (laughs) we have like two months left, crazy enough, of 2023. Good riddance. Uh, Ready for 2024 already. But, you know, new week. We're trying something different in the intro. Mix it up for people. Know it's a new episode. Anyway, with that said, this is the place where we read all the news And read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, I noticed on the gram the Halloween costumes this year.
1: That's right. And we're not just talking about the kids. Uh, I was a Michigan cheerleader. (laughs) The adults (laughs) are getting into it, everybody. My husband was uh, an Ohio State football player. As he was getting ready, he had these things that he was putting under his eyes. And he put like this towel into his waistline. He got into it. And I looked at him. I'm like... I feel like you've been waiting your whole life for tonight.
0: You're telling me that despite the whole Ohio State, Michigan thing you guys have going on, you've never done it for Halloween.
1: No, because we've never really done Halloween together. Like we we got married just a few years ago. We had two kids, the pandemic. Mm. So this was kind of the first Halloween party that we went to as a couple. So it was the logical costume. Yeah, but no, we've never done it.
0: And the, the kids getting ready for their trick-or-treating? Is that tomorrow?
1: That is tomorrow. Uh, my son is too young to partake but my daughter is very excited let's just hope the weather cooperates
0: elsa i feel like she's the perfect age for i've seen a lot of elsa's right around that age
1: (laughs) that i think that was more last year um this year Mm. i i'm embarrassed to even admit she's going (laughs) she's going as an ohio state cheerleader (laughs) I didn't want to say it because it's like it feels like something is wrong with our house. I know. I see that
0: she takes after dad. (laughs) She's going with the Ohio State side. Yes,
1: I had a couple of years where she was rooting for both of us, Michigan and Ohio State, Mm. and I don't know what happened. I think it's just that my husband is so much more passionate about it, and she's just—it is a Buckeye house with the exception of me. I did notice baby Olivia in some very cute costumes as well.
0: Yeah, so our little pumpkin was a pumpkin (laughs) on Saturday as she just um, turned five weeks. Jill. I love these moments. Like on Sunday morning, I realized that she can start to mimic my facial expressions. I was smiling and then she was smiling back. And I'm like, whoa. And I like yelled to the room to Alex. I was like, oh my God, write it down. October 29th, she's smiling back at us.
1: And it just gets better from here. You know, it's the words and laugh and giggles and and all of it. I mean, it's just as they develop personalities, it's, it's awesome. So I'm very excited for you guys.
0: And I will say we ran into a few Mo News fans over the weekend as we were making our way around Brooklyn. It was a really nice day. It was I think, almost 80 degrees on Saturday in New York in late October. Uh, and we were out there and somebody came up and said, listen, you know, huge fan of what you guys are doing, which is so great. We love to hear from all of you. People were out and about in all the various costumes. And we have a few more coming up. Uh, Jill, we have a Winnie the Pooh family theme situation coming to your Instagram feed in the coming day.
1: I also want to mention, of course, the news is just so awful these days. And I just, I couldn't take any more of it. So I I posted something, you know, tell me something good. Mm. And I was flooded with just awesome stuff. You know, people who had babies and, oh, my granddaughter was born or someone who said that their husband, that their scan for lung cancer came back uh, negative, just like really cool stuff, pictures of dogs, this, that, and the other thing. Um, and with that, I got a ton of just really nice notes and one note in particular from somebody that I, I shared as well on Instagram as did you, just talking about this podcast and how much it meant to them to just feel like they were getting a full picture of the news, which eventually I promise we will get to. Um, but thank you. I, I, I feel like social media can be a toxic place Yes, as you, and we'll get to it, have have learned unfortunately, this weekend as well. But a big thank you to everybody who wrote in. Those comments are so incredibly appreciated by us. Um, we, we read them. It's amazing. Yeah,
0: they're the fuel that keeps us going. I mean, I've, I have told that person in Brooklyn, who uh, one of the people who ran into us this weekend, I was like, there are moments where I want to just delete the Instagram account and cancel this thing altogether. Because um, it, it is, it is very trying doing this on a daily basis. So we appreciate the notes. We appreciate that you appreciate the show. We appreciate hearing from you. So thank you all. And let's get to the news. There were some negative developments over the weekend, uh, but we will, as always, end on a positive note. OK, are you ready? <laughs> are you ready, Jill? Let's do no,
1: it. But I, I don't think we have a choice. <laughs> all right. Here are the headlines. The latest from the Middle East. Israel expanding its ground invasion into Gaza. More aid is getting into the Gaza Strip, but not nearly enough as the humanitarian situation on the ground gets more dire. And the war spilling into other parts of the world. A mob in Russia storms an airport looking for Jews. Mosh, you said it was 2023, um, but it feels like it's like 1923 in terms of the pogroms in Russia. Back here in the U.S., Joe Biden has got himself a primary challenger. So who exactly is Dean Phillips? And on the Republican side, one down, former VP Mike Pence dropping out of the race. Some sad news over the weekend. friend star Matthew Perry dies at the age of 54. Plus an update to that mass shooting in Maine. Worker protests continue. CBS and Walgreens employees planning a walkout to protest working conditions. And as promised, some lighter news to end the podcast. We're talking Halloween, but it's not actually good, <laughs> good news. For the second Halloween in a row, U.S. candy inflation hits double digits.
0: Though we have other elements, including candy trends, Jill, candy corn making a comeback. I'm looking at you, Utah. Apparently, that is the number one candy in Utah. We need to discuss.
1: All right, and Moshe has on this day in history.
0: Jill, a look back at one of the most famous fake news stories of all time, Orson Welles' War of the Worlds, and a big moment in Adele history. As in the singer, not the computer brand.
1: Thank you for clearing that up. Just letting you know. (laughs) All right. Now to the news. Nearly three dozen trucks entered Gaza on Sunday in the largest aid convoy since the war began between Israel and Hamas. But humanitarian workers say that the assistance is still falling desperately short of the needs after thousands of people broke into warehouses to take flour and basic hygiene products. Communications were restored to most of Gaza's 2.3 million people on Sunday after an Israeli bombardment described by residents as the most intense of the war, knocked out phone and internet services late Friday. The Israeli military say that they have not started a full ground invasion as of yet, but have started what they say is the second phase of the war with more ground incursions into Gaza. On Sunday, Israel struck more than 450 terrorist targets over the past 24 hours, including Hamas command centers and anti-tank missile launching positions. Huge plumes of smoke were rising over Gaza City. The Hamas and Islamic Jihad groups have continued firing rockets into Israel, including towards its commercial hub, Tel Aviv. So we're now approaching about 8000 rockets in three weeks. And it comes as the humanitarian situation is getting worse in Gaza. Uh, The Gaza Health Ministry, which, of course, is run by Hamas, saying that the death toll among Palestinians has passed 8000, mostly women and minors, For its part, the Israelis say that Hamas has inflated the numbers and that the majority of deaths are actually Hamas terrorists, but there is no independent confirmation so far. The death toll on both sides is really without precedent in decades of Israeli-Palestinian violence. Over 1,400 people have died on the Israeli side, uh, mainly civilians, including babies, uh, murdered during that initial October 7th Hamas terror attack, which is also an unprecedented figure.
0: Jill, on Sunday, we got an indication of how desperate things are getting in Gaza. Humanitarian aid warehouses in the Strip were broken into, according to the U.N. They said it's a worrying sign that civil order is starting to break down after three weeks of war and that siege on the Gaza Strip. A U.N. spokesperson saying people are scared, frustrated, desperate. The U.N. Palestinian Refugee Agency said crowds broke into four facilities over the weekend. Warehouses did not contain any fuel but did contain food aid and other items uh, that people desperately need. The fuel debate continues right now. Israel continues to insist that they will not allow fuel into the Gaza Strip because of A, that Hamas has fuel and isn't giving it to the people, and B, that if they allowed more in, it would then go to Hamas to continue to use for their war effort. President Biden was on a call with Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu over the weekend. Uh, He underscored the need to immediately and significantly increase the flow of humanitarian aid into the Gaza Strip to assist civilians. Israeli authorities said they will be soon allowing more humanitarian aid to enter Gaza. No details, though, on when and how much and how soon that'll be. Meanwhile, as Israel ratchets things up, residents living near the Shifa Hospital, the largest hospital in the Gaza Strip, uh, said that a number of strikes a hit nearby. Israel accuses Hamas of having a secret command post beneath the hospital. Uh, They made a whole presentation about it late last week. Hamas denies those allegations, uh, though they have put forth videos, the Israelis have, of Hamas terrorists who were captured admitting that they do have a command post under the hospital. The Israelis have been calling on the hospital to evacuate for more than a week. The facility so far has refused, saying it would mean death for patients on ventilators, and they can't move anyone from there. As of right now, the majority of residents of Gaza have moved from the north to the south under the Israeli push there, though hundreds of thousands still remain in the north. And that comes as the um, Israelis are looking to push ahead here into the Strip.
1: Mosh, we have been waiting on this major invasion, this major ground invasion by Israel. What we saw this past weekend, not that. Any sense on when that is coming, if it is still coming?
0: Yeah, the Israelis are moving very, very slowly here, um, literally taking yard by yard as opposed to mile by mile. And, you know, Gaza is pretty small, 25 miles by six miles. Keep in mind, Hamas has been there for 40 years. They've been in control of the Gaza Strip for 16 years. So they're proceeding very cautiously here. Israel views a ground invasion as necessary to take out Hamas. They see any potential ceasefire, which was called for by the UN General Assembly on Friday, as well as a number of countries individually around the world. Uh, They view that as keeping Hamas in place, inspiring new attacks. And so they feel the need to go in there uh, with the hundreds of thousands of reserve soldiers they currently have on the border. Now, there were reports over the weekend, the US and a number of countries in the West Reluctant now behind the scenes to endorse this full-on invasion. They're worried about casualties continuing to get higher on both sides uh, and secondary impact on the Arab world. A top Saudi official, the brother of the Crown prince, actually, KBS, not MBS, is set to be in Washington today. Uh, the concern in the Arab world is they have millions of angry citizens, how they might react to more images of bloodshed. It could create instability across the region. It does come interestingly, Jill, as Arab states behind the scenes say they hate Hamas and they want them to go away but in public, criticize Israel and egg on these massive rallies. So they're sort of playing both ends here, knowing how their publics feel, but also strategically behind the scenes saying, you know, Hamas is a problem, Iran is a problem. Now, the alternate approach proposed by the US and others is continuing aerial strikes, assassinations against Hamas. The Israelis say they've been doing that for more than a decade through several wars, only to see Hamas come back stronger. So this invasion, when are we gonna see it? Still unclear. One of the key questions is, Can they get more hostages freed before an invasion? The concern is if an invasion happens full on, you're not going to see any more hostages, more than 220 hostages that are currently being held in the Gaza Strip released. Now, don't expect any sort of D-Day style assault. Uh, Right now, as I noted, the IDF is moving very cautiously, literally 100 yards at a time, a football field at a time, searching and destroying uh, Hamas booby traps. They have hundreds of miles of tunnels underground. And so they're trying to ensure they do this cautiously uh, with the least amount of casualties on both sides, as the Israelis are saying here. But again, it does come as there's concerns uh, in a lot of places that this ground invasion could only make things worse.
1: And Moshe, as we've talked about on this podcast before, what happens in the Middle East does not stay there. On that note, a mob in Russia's mostly Muslim region of Dagestan stormed one of the airports in search of Jewish passengers arriving from Israel. So if you're on social media, you have probably seen this video. We are talking about hundreds of young men, some carrying Palestinian flags, storming the tarmac trying to climb onto planes, in some cases, trying to break through the windows. The passengers had to either take refuge on the plane or hide in the airport. Health officials on the ground say two people have been critically injured. It's not clear who they are or in in what way they were injured. Uh, They also stormed a hotel in search of Jewish guests. It appears that the riots were perhaps inspired by a number of posts on Telegram, a social media platform, Local religious leaders on the ground say that they may actually need to evacuate about 800 Jewish families from the area. In another city in a neighboring region, a planned Jewish center was set on fire. The former chief rabbi of Moscow saying, quote, we are receiving reports from four different cities in Dagestan of mobs demanding to kill the Jews. A frightening motion, of course, brings to mind the pogroms in Russia, which started in about the 1880s. Uh, if you're not familiar, that is when Russians uh, in a series of attacks literally killed uh, about 100,000 Jews and forced many to just flee the country entirely.
0: Yeah, you see a bit of this if you, you're familiar with the musical Fiddler on the Roof depicted there. Uh, and again, those are you know basically civilian lynch bombs let loose. Um, very concerning images coming out of Dagestan. For those unfamiliar, it's sort of down there near Chechnya, Azerbaijan, Georgia, down there in the caucuses, uh, the Russians saying that's a majority Muslim region, and they tried to get a hold of it. Uh, the governor of Dagestan and a number of authorities, very concerned about what they said, there will be ramifications for those engaged in it. And it was large, Jill. I mean, literally, you saw, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people invade the airport, walking the tarmac, uh, demanding to board planes and inspect them for any Jews. Literally one person in the video, like looking in the engine saying, you know, it, it, it almost beyond belief, almost you know, you, like a joke out of Borat uh, that has become real here.
1: I'm glad you said that because my husband is not on social media and I was describing this to him and I'm like, no, no, like whatever you're picturing times it by 100. It was that much worse. Yeah. Um, this wasn't like a little mob of of 10 people chanting, you know, death to Jews. This was... This was quite serious. No, they,
0: they overtook the airport. Authorities were not prepared for it. They've actually closed the airport now for a week as they deal with this. The prime minister of Israel, you know, telling the Russians, like, you need to deal with this. Like, you know, you have a country of, of, you know, it's one of the largest populations of Jews in the world actually live in Russia to this day. So very concerning there. Jill, we should note, you know, we were talking about this before the podcast and those who follow on Instagram will know this by now. You know, I've first of all, I will say this, hundreds of incredible comments of people who are like, You know, we're in shock and disbelief at what is happening. Also got a note from somebody who's followed for a while who's like, you Jews deserve this. You know, I'm a Jew. I was like, you followed my account for a year and a half. This is how you actually feel. This is how you react to the headlines. So a little shocking, a little concerning. You know, I am the forever optimist here.
1: Are (laughs) you still? (laughs)
0: It'll it'll all work out. (laughs) I mean, listen, this is a legitimately scary time. I mean, passions have gotten to beyond. I mean, there were... Again, there were, like, protests in Brooklyn and protests in London and protests in D.C. and protests all over the world this weekend. And a number of those people at protests, I heard from some of them, are like, listen, we're legitimately concerned about the humanitarian crisis and the Palestinian civilians. Yes, like, we're all concerned about civilians, et cetera. Unfortunately, there are – and it's a legitimate concern, and we report on all that stuff here. At the same time, there are people who are overtly anti-Semitic. There are people preaching violence here. There are people justifying the actions of terror groups – and unfortunately, that is overwhelming. I mean, I, I compared it loosely to the Black Lives Matter protests in 2020, where the vast majority of people are seeking social justice and equal rights, etc. an important cause. And unfortunately, there are bad actors in there, some with violent intentions. And we're seeing it and we're hearing it. And it's really concerning. And um, anyway, I'm still an optimist, Jill. I think cooler heads will prevail <laughs> at some point. <laughs> I I mean,
1: Moshe, I hope you're right.
0: Yeah. I mean, listen, I think that um, we all need to be looking out for each other. And I hope that maybe sometimes, unfortunately, because we're human beings and because it requires really extreme stuff for us to get our act together, images like this will be serve as a wake up call that the concerns of any minority group when it comes to discrimination and threats should not be diminished. And some people rightfully are frightened right now. Watching what's going on. So please look out for your fellow human beings. Please take a moment. I know there's like little room these days for nuance and gray areas and a civil dialogue about where we agree, but that is where we need to go. Or like you'll see what happened here. And by the way, this it's not just anti-Semitism that you like. You saw, you know, effectively this happen in Myanmar a few years ago, based on Facebook posts. You saw this happen based on radio shows in Rwanda in the 90s, the Rwandan genocide, where people saying, "Look out for the Hutus, look out for the Tutsis, go kill them," and ultimately a million people died in 100 days in Rwanda. So social media is the next evolution of this, as you mentioned. This started on Telegram. Some people said there's some stuff happening that you know we have to go get them, and look how this escalated. Look how quickly this stuff moves. So listen. I I don't know how big we are in Dagestan, this podcast, (laughs) but for the rest of us watching all of this, certainly learned some lessons this eh? weekend.
1: Well, Moshe, I'm sorry that somebody wrote that to you. That's just totally unacceptable.
0: Just dark and unnecessary.
1: It's also scary. Moshe, the fear um, amongst the Jewish community is palpable. And I'm speaking about the Jewish community because I'm part of the Jewish community and I welcome anybody else to to message me and talk to me about what they're going through as well. But I I could speak about that uh, because I'm living it. And this is the only thing people will talk about is are their kids safe going to school? Are they safe in their homes? I am very careful not to repeat Things I've heard from other people. Yeah, it's something actually uh, that you have made me particularly aware of, and so I I would never just post something just to post it. I have now heard from numerous people who have had Uber drivers ask them if they are Jewish, and I don't think they're doing that. You know, compare hollow recipes like (laughs) you know that that's not (laughs) a good thing. I have heard from many people in the Jewish community who, for the first time in their lives, are contemplating getting a gun and who have said never in their lives did they ever think that that would be something that they would do. And the reason I wanted to mention that is because what does that mean? It means that they genuinely think that there is a chance that somebody is going to come to their house to try to kill them because they are Jewish. That's what that means. That is the reason that they would get a gun. And so that's where we are.
0: That's where we are this October of It can only go up from here, I think, Jill.
1: Okay, Mosh, who would think that politics would kind of be like the fun topic? (laughs) Save us, Washington politics. Okay, uh, now to 2024 election news. Over the weekend, one door closed and another one opened. Former Vice President Mike Pence officially calling his Republican presidential campaign over. And Democratic Congressman Dean Phillips launched a long-shot bid to challenge Joe Biden for the Democratic nomination. So let's start with Dean Phillips. He is a little-known moderate Democrat from Minnesota. He announced Friday that he will pursue the Democratic presidential nomination, becoming the party's first elected official to challenge President Biden in the 2024 race. Congressman Phillips represents Southern Minnesota. He's centering his campaign on concerns that people have about Biden's age. He is turning 81 in November. Phillips, by the way, is 54. He thinks that he is a viable option for voters who share his concerns that Biden is not the strongest Democrat to go into an election against former President Trump or any of the alternatives. As a moderate, he's advocated for bipartisanship and respect in politics. In the 2018 midterms, he flipped a seat that was held by Republicans. Since then, he has served in the bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus and worked with Republicans on legislation to tackle things like military and entrepreneurship issues. Before becoming a politician, he ran his family's wine and spirits business called Phillips Distilling He even helped launch Talenti Gelato. So he's very wealthy. He is a millionaire. Democrats uh, have shown little interest, though, in backing anyone but Biden. He continues to maintain about 70 to 80 percent of uh, Democrats in polls, even though they do have significant concerns about his age. And again, um, that is one reason that Phillips is deciding to run and also leaning into that weakness. A CNN survey released last month found that 67 percent of Democratic voters want someone else besides Joe Biden to be the party's nominee in 2024.
0: They want choices. Only a third backed Biden. There's also an AP poll conducted in August showing 77 percent of all Americans, three out of four of all Americans, say Biden is too old to effectively serve as president. That includes nearly seven out of 10 Democrats. Keep in mind, if he was elected to a second term, Jill, he'd be 86 by the end of his second term. So Phillips here is talking about generational change, especially in a party that is mostly run by people over the age of 70 uh, and 80. Obviously, there's been the handoff from Nancy Pelosi to Hakeem Jeffries in the House. But other than that, between Joe Biden, Chuck Schumer and a bunch of senior Democrats, uh, they're of a certain age. Phillips has been outspoken on this. Last year, he was one of a handful of younger lawmakers to call on House Democrats to make that change to the next generation. Eventually, those leaders uh, did step aside. But he wants it to happen on the presidential level. He's very concerned about Biden making it across the finish line here. Um, And there had been talk about him running earlier in the summer. He backed off. A lot of Democrats just scared challenge biden here that basically he's the president he was able to you know hold the senate grow the senate in midterms he's given credit for that republicans are a mess in the house and he's already beaten trump once so some people believe you know actually he can beat trump again he may not be our best person but for americans they'll give biden another shot over bringing trump back at least that's the belief among many senior democrats but it does come as voter dissatisfaction right now a very high with biden only 37 percent of americans approve of his job performance 59% disapproval. Uh, Also, some recent polls show that among Democrats, he's losing some job approval. That includes a lot of progressive Democrats uh, who are unhappy with him standing by Israel here, uh, including Arab and Muslim American voters. Though that said, they don't seem to have an ally there in Donald Trump uh, based on those four years. So a lot of people in that community scratching their head saying, we don't love what Biden's doing right now, uh, but also, like, do we want Trump to come back? So uh, one aspect of an election is turning out your base voters, maxing out your Democrats. So if some people stay at home, that's a concern. So that's it um, on that aspect of it. Obviously, a lot of Democrats are hoping, Biden's hoping that one of these 91 felony charges against Trump lands and he's convicted at one of the four criminal trials he's set to have in the next year. One person was hoping for that to happen sooner than later, Mike Pence. You mentioned he dropped out over the weekend. This was really quick, not altogether surprising. He announces over the weekend that he's been struggling to raise money, garnering support. So as he told people, It's not his time. Uh, Remember, Mike Pence was Trump's vice president, and he mainly stood by Trump until January 6th, when he chose not to overturn the election. He stood by that, saying it was unconstitutional what Trump was trying to get him to do. That did not play well in a party that so overwhelmingly likes Trump. Republicans not feeling Pence on that issue. But let's be frank here. There's a lot of lack of energy when it comes to Mike Pence. He can't really light up a room. Uh, He's also running... On stances that kind of remind you of Republicans back in the 80s or 90s, Uh, not really the populist party that Trump has created here. He's transformed the party. Mike Pence running in the 1990s, uh, trying to excite rooms of five to seven people, couldn't get the money, probably wasn't going to make the next debate. So, you know, as a former vice president, he's decided
1: that's it. Well, we will miss him. (laughs) (laughs) the the fly and the fly (laughs) on his head is it so sad that the only thing i think about with mike pence in a debate is the fly that landed on it's like most
0: vice presidents like (laughs) what do you think about like dick cheney shot a guy (laughs) al gore once claimed he sort of invented the internet like vice presidents dan quayle like misspelled tomato literally go through vice presidential history you can remember one thing and mike pence for many people it'll be the fly Mike.
1: <laughs> the Dan Quail. Wait, I thought it was potato. Was it tomato? Sorry. <laughs> no, no. It wasn't I tomato. It was it potato. Was potato. <laughs> Which it tells was potato. you, yes, it is the, it's the only thing I remember it's about. It's been it. a
0: while. And until he became president, what was Vice President Biden known for? The time that he said, big effing deal. <laughs> I mean, at least that's how I remember him as vice president. Like, he whispered into Obama's ear, but in front of a microphone, like, this is a big effing deal. <laughs> and like, that. That was eight years of Biden, everybody. (laughs) All right, Jill, let's take a break here from the news for a hot second. Thanks to some of our sponsors. Parlez-vous Francais? (laughs) Habla Espanol?
1: Si, un poco. Un poco.
0: (laughs) Well, Jill, if you're looking to increase that Spanish know-how or your knowledge about another language, right now we have a new sponsor here called Babbel. The best way to learn a language is through immersion, living where the language is spoken. But of course, you can't do that. That's not possible for all of us. So what's the second best way to learn language? Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L. Because with Babbel, you can start speaking a language in just three weeks. I started Spanish lessons with Babbel last month. I do need to get back to them, but I have been liking their process so far. The thing about Babbel is instead of a private tutor, this works. There's quick 10-minute lessons. They're designed by language experts in a whole number of languages, uh, real people for real conversations. You might remember the language classes you took in high school where you, you know learned various words that you're never going to use. What I like about Babbel, they're rooted in real-life situations. If you travel to a country, there's practical things that you immediately learn. And right now, they have a limited special deal right now for the Mo News audience. 55% off, five, five, 55% off Babbel right now. You can head to babbel.com, that is B A B B E L dot com slash Mo News to get our discount. That's just about $6 a month to learn a new language. Again, the deal 55% off at slash monews, babbel.com slash Mo News, B A B B E L dot com slash Mo News. Rules and restrictions do apply.
1: And Mosh, we always talk about our super busy days and how, uh, especially with kids, it's hard to find time to eat. Well, here comes Factor. I got a few of their ready-to-eat meals and juices last week. I am particularly enjoying all of the juices, which have been great as I've been battling this cold. I particularly enjoyed the spinach and mushroom chicken thighs. Delicious, uh, but all of the food was really good. They come on ice, ready to put in the fridge, and then eat right away. They are chef prepared, dietitian approved, ready to eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. If you are too busy this fall to cook, but you wanna make sure that you are eating well with Factor, you could skip the extra trip to the grocery store and all the chopping and prepping and cleaning up while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. And these aren't your parents' or grandparents' frozen TV dinners. Factors, fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So, all you have to do is heat and enjoy. And then you get back to just crushing your goals. 35 weekly chef prepared meals. There are so many healthy options, including bowls and salads ready to go. And that means no microwave is even necessary. And now we do have a special deal for Mo News customers. Head to Factormeals.com slash MoNews50 and use the code MoNews50 to get 50% off. That is code MoNews50 at Factormeals.com slash MoNews50 and you get 50% off. Time now for the speed read from the L.A. Times. Friend star Matthew Perry was found dead Saturday in a hot tub at his Los Angeles home. This is according to law enforcement sources, and he was just 54 years old. Authorities responded at about 4 p.m. to his home. He was discovered, again, unresponsive. The sources who spoke on the condition of anonymity because this investigation is still ongoing didn't cite a specific cause of death. No drugs were found at the scene, but a source told The Times that prescription medications were recovered at the home, which means that toxicology will be a part of the investigation. A representative for Perry did not immediately respond uh, to a comment. An L.A. police captain says the cause of death may not be known for some time, but at this point, foul play is not suspected. The cause of death will be determined by the coroner's office, NBC, which um, aired Friends for 10 seasons, put out its own statement. They said, we are incredibly saddened by the too soon passing of Matthew Perry. He brought so much joy to hundreds of millions of people around the world with his pitch perfect comedic timing and wry wit. His legacy will live on through countless generations He got his start as a child actor, landing guest spots on Charles in Charge and Beverly Hills 90210. He played opposite River Phoenix in the film A Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon in the 1980s and early 90s. But his big break came when he was cast in Friends, originally titled Friends Like Us. Uh, I did not know that that was the original name. A sitcom, of course, about six single New Yorkers navigating adulthood. It premiered on NBC in 1994, and the series soon became a juggernaut, the anchor of the network's Thursday night must-see TV lineup. It turned Perry and his castmates, Jennifer Aniston, Courtney Cox, Lisa Kudrow, Matt LeBlanc, and David Schwimmer into mega stars almost overnight.
0: Yeah, I'd be surprised if any of you listening aren't familiar with Friends. Uh, at the time, it was airing. 50 million people were watching it. It's huge in streaming, huge in reruns at the end. Uh, this was a big deal back then. Cast members were earning a million an episode at the time. But for Perry, there was a dark side to his life. He just put out a memoir actually last year called Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. That's where he recounted his lifelong struggle with addiction to alcohol, opioids. He said he recognized he was an alcoholic uh, at age 21. He estimated he spent more than $7 million in an effort to get sober, including multiple stints in rehab, His substance abuse led to a number of serious health issues, including a hospitalization back in 2018 uh, following a colon rupture that left him, he writes, with a 2% chance to live through the night. He acknowledged during that Friends reunion back in 2021 that the pressure to land a joke in front of a live studio audience night after night uh, made him feel a lot of pressure. He told the LA Times earlier this year that nobody wanted to be famous more than me. I was convinced being famous was the answer. I was 25. It was a second year of friends. And eight months into it, I realized the American dream is not making me happy, not filling the holes in my life. I couldn't get enough attention. Fame does not do what you think it's going to do. It was all a trick. Um, A very honest portrayal, an honest story. He was still presenting this memoir as recently as a few weeks ago, Jill. Again, too early to say what took place over the weekend. But I feel like this is one of those headlines that hit a lot of us like a ton of bricks on Saturday night. Like, do we need this right <laughs> now? Do we need to lose a friend, a literal friend in Matthew Perry? I saw the headline on TMZ Saturday night. I was like, please, please be wrong, TMZ. And sadly, uh, in fact, we've lost Matthew Perry, which to our generation, I feel like if you're a Gen X or a millennial, that really hits home. It feels extra real because he was way too young.
1: Mosh, I think you're right it's really shocking and and a lot of us of a certain generation feel like we kind of grew up with him so it's a tough one Chandler Bing I saw somebody post and it's like you don't want to make a joke but they're like could it be any more sad you know because that was just his you know it's it's you say that and that whole way that he kind of landed his jokes it's just so typical him and it's heartbreaking we're
0: thankful for her, his incredible contributions and a, and sadly a, a life cut too short.
1: All right, from Fox News, an update on that mass shooting in Maine. Two nights after the shooting late Friday, law enforcement found the uh, suspect, that mass killer, Robert Card, dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound inside one of about 55 to 60 metal trailers in a recycling center's overflow parking lot. Authorities found a note to a loved one with his phone's passcode and bank account before he was found dead about a mile away from his abandoned car. Card indiscriminately opened fire with a semi-automatic rifle inside of a bowling alley and a bar in Lewiston, Maine on Wednesday, killing at least 18 people and injuring 13 more. Authorities say the paper note that he left behind wasn't, quote, an explicit suicide note, but the tone and tenor was that the individual was not going to be around.
0: And that came after a very scary couple nights in Maine uh, as the manhunt continued before they found his body late Friday. And it comes as continuing questions are being asked about how he was able to obtain a gun despite having been put in a mental health facility And been very open about his mental health issues. A lot of warning signs here. Uh, The New York Times reports late Sunday that nearly three months before the shooting, a gun shop declined to let him complete his purchase of a firearm silencer after he disclosed on a form that he had mental health issues. Uh, That's according to the shop's owner. Apparently in August, Card had gone to go pick up a silencer from one gun shop that he had purchased at another gun shop. But that gun owner uh, dealing with the pickup noticed it in the form and said, absolutely not. I will not give this to you. And it's interesting because it meant that Card was actually acknowledging his mental health issues to gun shops while he was trying to buy stuff. And so the questions here about why he was able to have access to firearms uh, will be key here in the investigation and potential uh, legislation and potential litigation coming out of all of this. Though, again, it appears here that he had the gun legally if he bought them at a licensed dealer. He had to pass background checks that include determining whether he was mentally fit to own a firearm. In a statement, the FBI says they had no information on card in its background check system that would have prevented him from legally purchasing a gun. Um, Jill, I'm learning more and more about this, but apparently if you voluntarily go to a mental health facility, you're not involuntarily committed, you can still own a gun after that. And certainly there's a lot of people asking whether uh, or when, frankly, that law might need to be changed.
1: From CNBC, some pharmacy staff from Walgreens and other drugstore chains are planning to walk out starting today in the latest pushback against what they call unsafe working conditions that put both employees and patients at risk. Organizers of the effort and some pharmacy employees telling CNBC they hope the work stoppage will push companies to make meaningful changes to address the long-standing grievances of many retail pharmacy staff who have complained about having to grapple with what they describe as understaffed teams, insufficient pay, and increasing work expectations imposed by corporate management. The walkout uh, has been dubbed by organizers as Farmageddon. (laughs) Who
0: doesn't have a get in these days? Um,
1: It's going to happen today through Wednesday across different pharmacy locations uh, across the country, and it could tentatively affect hundreds of stores across different chains. Although there is no definitive count of employees who will be participating in this effort, the bulk of those who have signaled that they plan to walk out are from Walgreens, which laid the groundwork for the initiative, and then employees from CVS and Rite Aid.
0: Yeah, it's a bunch of Walgreens pharmacists who've started here. Um, They don't have a union. And there are talks of organizing a union here at some point for all these pharmacy employees uh, who've been complaining that they have unreasonable performance demands uh, and that things only got worse during COVID in addition to all their existing responsibilities and cutback in staff. Now they had to administer tests, vaccinations as well, which the pharmacies found profitable. So they told the pharmacists to focus more on that. We've heard some anecdotes about that. From pharmacists in recent weeks, and they just can't juggle all these daily tasks, which can, they say, force errors and put patients at harm. I mean, keep in mind, this literally you're going to the pharmacy to pick up drugs, and they have to measure things out and make sure they're putting the right thing. For the right person, giving you the proper warnings uh, and side effects. And for many pharmacy staff, they say they've had it and they need uh, more benefits. They need more support here. And so you're seeing more and more of this. We'll watch this unionization effort. It does come as we've seen a record number of walkouts, strikes, or threatened strikes this year, whether it's Hollywood, whether it's UPS, whether it's the Thing we've been watching with the auto workers and this all started a few weeks ago at some Walgreens across the country some cvs stores in kansas city and appears to be expanding here until they get what they want out of these large chains you know walgreens and cvs being the largest pharmacies in the country
1: All right. This from the Associated Press, a little Halloween news, an update on the price of candy, as well as a look at this year's trends for the second year in a row. Shoppers seeing double digit inflation in the candy aisle. Candy and gum prices are up an average of 13 percent this month compared to last October. More than double the six percent increase in all of grocery prices. This is according to Data Assembly, a retail price tracker. And that is on top of a 14 percent increase in candy and gum prices in October of 2022. Candy get
0: in. Do they get a get in?
1: Uh, They should. This firm saying uh, their survey shows that about one third of consumers plan to trade down to value or store brands when buying candy for trick or treaters this year. Weather is the main culprit for higher prices. Cocoa prices are trading at a 44-year high after heavy rains in West Africa caused limited production in the season that started last fall. And now El Nino conditions are making the region drier and likely to linger well into the spring.
0: Blame it on the weather. Is that what Toto was singing about when they <laughs> talked about the rains down in Africa? <laughs> But in all seriousness, Jill, worst drought there in 20 years um, in certain parts of uh, the region. Uh, Also, global sugar prices are at 12-year highs. India, which is the world's second largest sugar producer after Brazil recently banned sugar exports for the first time in seven years after monsoon rains there hurt their upcoming harvest. Thailand's output is down as well. So this is one of the factors we talk about when it comes to climate change. I mean, it has an impact on a lot of things you wouldn't necessarily expect And so in this case, chocolate and candy prices, Hershey, which has raised prices by 7% or more in each of the last seven quarters, acknowledged this week that higher prices are taking a toll though on demand, that they've reached a certain point where people are like, you know what? I'm gonna buy less chocolate. But of course it's Halloween. The National Retail Federation says that Halloween candy spending should hit a whopping $3.6 billion this year. That's a 16% jump and that blows away previous highs. So people not letting these prices get in the way of their trick-or-treat candy. Overall Halloween spending this year, Jill, expected to be $12.2 billion. And I don't know that they counted your costumes from over the weekend. Though so they were <laughs> homemade, right? You didn't spend too much?
1: Well, my husband, I think, had every everything in the closet.
0: <laughs> Michael, thank you for getting us to $12.2 billion in Halloween <laughs> spending this year. Um, and then there's the Halloween candy trends. Jill, I put a couple graphics here in our notes. Most popular Halloween candy nationwide, according to candystore.com. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, though M&M's hot on their tail, Hot Tamales at three, Skittles at four, Sour Patch Kids at five, Starbursts sixth, Hershey Kisses seven, Candy Corn eight, Hershey Mini Bars nine, ten Snickers. Jill, this is a big deal. Apparently, Candy Corn back in the top ten this year.
1: That feels inexplicable to me. (laughs) given the taste of candy corn, but... Everything comes back, <laughs> apparently, yeah. Candy corn, uh, particularly popular in Utah.
0: Yeah, most popular candy there, apparently, according to store.com.
1: In New York, you might expect to get yourself some Sour Patch Kids. That is the most popular.
0: Yeah, Nebraska, too. California's an M&M land. Sour Patch Kids, Texas. Skittles, Oklahoma. Butterfinger in Wisconsin. Butterfinger, also big in Massachusetts. Almond Joy, number one in Connecticut but neighboring Rhode Island, m M&M and Land.
1: Which is why I'm going to be trick-or-treating in Rhode Island this year.
0: All right, now time for On This Day in History on this October 30th. On this day in 1918, the Ottoman Empire signed a treaty with the Allies, though the Ottoman Empire had been in decline for a couple hundred years, the Turks basically running most of the Middle East. They had looked to be neutral in World War I. They did an alliance with the Germans. That didn't work out because Germany loses. And so it all falls apart for them. They signed this deal with the Europeans. The Europeans then go to carve up the Ottoman Empire, the French taking what would become Syria and Lebanon, the Brits taking what would become Iraq, Jordan, Israel, and the Palestinian territories.
1: Moshe, how is that going? How <laughs> do I show It's been about 100
0: years. I'd say that uh, I'm not sure that that plan quite worked out. But here we are. All right. On this day in 1938, Orson Welles' The War of the Worlds aired on CBS radio, causing panic among thousands of listeners who thought there was an actual Martian invasion of Earth. Uh, a 23-year-old Orson Welles put out this broadcast at the time. People listening to the radio being like, oh, my God. The Martians are invading. The FCC in the U.S. would go on to investigate it uh, and they would put a stop to any kind of simulated news item. CBS at the time, the Columbia Broadcasting System, agreed to take steps to avoid making a fiction broadcast sound like it was actual breaking news. So uh, some responsibility, a little bit, for the media there. Though it did help Orson Welles land a contract with Hollywood just a couple years later, he directed Citizen Kane. And we'll move to the 21st century now on this day in 2003. A basketball player by the name of LeBron James, you might have heard of him, who was drafted directly out of high school, makes his debut with the Cleveland Cavs. All right, a couple of music notes here before we go. On this day in 1968, Marvin Gaye scored his first number one hit with I Heard It Through the Grapevine.
1: Just about to lose my
0: mind. Honey, honey, yeah. <laughs> On this day in 2015, fast forward, Adele went to number one with Hello, Hello. It would go on to top the charts in 36 countries, including the U.S., where it reigned number one for 10 consecutive weeks. Jill, I remember that time in 2015.
1: Can we go back there? A less complicated time, Mosh. Please take us back. <laughs>
0: it feels like it. And finally, let's end with this. On this day in 1971, John Lennon put out his solo album, Imagine. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion, too. Jill, I feel like uh, we need that message more and more. Maybe John Lennon's Imagine will come true one day.
1: I don't want to get too preachy at the end of the podcast, yeah. but most we all do have to figure out how to coexist on this planet.
0: Amen, sister.
1: <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store.
0: I'll see everyone tomorrow. Uh, Utahns, go out and get your candy corn. I hear it's almost sold out out there. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.